the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 101 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, host of this show. Thank you for taking some time out of your week to spend with us. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Baseball365Pod. You can follow myself at Justin Hughes 365 and you can follow Andrew at AMCQ82. And if you haven't done so yet, join our Facebook group, Baseball365, where we have over 2,200 members talking about baseball every day. It's been very active today as we set up a bunch of draft and hold leagues for our members about a month ago and the drafts just started tonight or this morning so there's a lot of discussion going on in there about drafts that are going on right now and the best way you could support our show is to go to itunes and by taking a few moments to leave us a five-star rating and writing a nice review for us it'll go a long way for helping us get our get our get our names out there and we would be very appreciative And as always, all of these plugs I just mentioned can be found in the show notes. On tonight's episode, it is time for part one of our shortstop preview. Andrew and I are going to discuss the top ADP guys eligible at the shortstop position. And on the next episode, we'll come back. We'll come back in a few days and we will cover the rest of the shortstops. Let's get Andrew on. And Andrew, the question of the day involves the trade from this past weekend involving Nolan Arenado, who has been moved from the hitter-friendly confines in Colorado to the, the your beloved St. Louis Cardinals, or my beloved St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> so, opening question here, are you more annoyed about this as a fantasy owner, because I know you have him in both at least one redraft and dynasty league team already, or as a Cubs fan, which one? What do you uh, What do you think I'm going to say? I think you're going to say fantasy owner. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I. It's just I don't know. Like disappointing as a fantasy owner for sure. I mean, as a Cubs fan, like I've kind of said before, I'm a little bit realistic. I feel like that the uh, Cardinals are a step ahead of the Cubs right now. So not quite as uh, annoyed there, I guess. But, yeah, as a fantasy owner, I'm definitely annoyed. So if this was like a year or two ago, you'd probably be more annoyed? As a yeah, fan? yeah, maybe. Yeah, possibly. That it's makes hard sense. to say, though. I, I feel like I've – I don't know. This may be sad. I, I don't know. But I feel like I'm – uh, fantasy owner first, Cubs, Cubs fan second these days. So yeah, the more of these dynasty leagues you get into, and the more of these fantasy leagues you get into, I I get it. Yeah, it's I don't know if I would have said that like five years ago, but it's kind of just turned that way, I guess. So we already touched on third base, so I think we need to circle back to this in terms of Arenado and fantasy value. Now that he's out of Colorado, where do you think you would take him in drafts? Well, I think right behind, you know, like there was the group um, we kind of discussed on the third base podcast of him, Bregman, Devers, and Rendon. I think they're all pretty interchangeable, but probably at the back half of that group or the back 
the last guy in that group, I should say. Um, but they're all still pretty close. I mean, it dings him. I don't know how much. I, I think all of the numbers drop some. How much we'll see, but uh, mostly batting average. I feel like is going to drop, and the runs in RBI. I'm not as worried about the pure home runs. Uh, I still feel like he'll be a good power source, and I still feel like he'll be a good player. But um, I just feel like the overall upside, especially, is not nearly as high outside of course. Oh, and I did. I guess I didn't answer the exact question. Probably fourth round like later in the fourth probably about where he went in our draft today he went um i think the 12th pick of the fourth round so i thought it was a fine pick there i i don't know for sure if i'd have made it but um yeah somewhere in there actually no it was earlier than that Ten. it was the 10th pick of the fourth round yes i was actually and yeah when on he back. when he got picked i I had been, I considered him earlier in the round too. So yeah, I think that's the right range. I mean, not sure it's a pick I'll make, but um, I think it's the right spot. That's what I was going to say. You know, we just did our, in this baseball 365 draft and hold, I had the 11th pick in the fourth round and he went the pick before I was not considering him there. I wanted to get an arm, but I also think it's fine where he went. When you look at the bats that went after him, that, I mean, there were four pitchers in a row, and then it was Marcelo, Zuna, Biggio, Alonzo, Hira, Vlad Jr. I think he belongs probably just ahead of those guys. And so, yeah, I think that's about the right spot for him. Um, did You you gave a little bit there, so what kind of line did you say you'd project for him? Oh, I'd say probably like... 275 with like low 30s home runs 30 to 32 um and then you know runs and ribbies are are what they are i mean probably 90 to 100 both somewhere in there yeah we're pretty much i mean the, the lineup the lineup isn't quite as good i don't feel like but the park is the main thing I yes mean, the, Obviously, so yeah, this rock the Rockies lineup's not great by any means, but it's right. better. That's more what I, that's more what I meant. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a park factor thing, and I think we're pretty much right in line there with what we're saying. Because I, when I with with the line to expect, I was expecting two seventy to two eighty is what I said with the low to like thirty to thirty five home runs somewhere in that range, and then a hundred. I think I said two hundred, well, somewhere between one hundred and ninety and two hundred and ten runs plus RBI. So yeah, we're pretty much in line there and yeah, that definitely dings him if he's if he's doing that as compared to hitting 300 in mid 30s. Yeah, okay. I mean and I still I still think he could do that. I mean, it wouldn't like blow me away or anything, but um like I said, I just feel like that the you know, like when he's when he was in cores the upside season to season was so high. I mean, you could, mm -hmm. you know, you could envision, you can envision him hitting 320, 330 with, you know, 115 runs and ribbies and 40 plus homers. And it's just, that isn't going to happen now. Nope. So I just feel like it's a new level that we're going to have to get used to, but still really good. I mean, he's definitely still a really good player. Agreed. 
All right, let's get into shortstops here. We got a lot to touch on here as shortstop is a very top-heavy position this year. And I've got the ranks like we start every time. I've got the ranks from last year, and I want to give off the top 10. And that would be Lindor number one last year at eight overall. Just a couple picks later were Trey and Bregman, both at 10. And then Trevor Story was at 11. Fernando Tatis Jr. at 17. It was the fifth shortstop. Sixth was Glaber Torres. Seventh was Xander Bogarts at 37. Eight is Jonathan VR. It was somewhere from 37 to 40. I forgot to write down the actual number last year. Same for Mondesi. He was ninth. And then Javi Baez was 10th at 40. So we had 10 shortstops last year going in the top 40. So what's your reaction looking at that list? Uh, pretty good overall. I mean, guys that are still going pretty high for the most part. A couple disappointments in there, but... Um, yeah, pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. A lot of talent. A lot of talent at yeah. this position, obviously. And it didn't stop there last year. I ended up writing down 11 through 15 because they were all in the top 100. Machado was at 11th at 61. Then Bo Bichette at 72. Marcus Simeon at 87. Carlos Correa at 95. And Tim Anderson at 97. Meaning 15 shortstops were all in the top 100 this last year which is not the case this year. They have There have been some that have moved down, but really, really heavy on shortstop last year, still real heavy this year. So what is your thought on the shortstop position going into drafts this year, and how do you plan on attacking that position? Well, I think that uh, it's really clear that there's a ton of talent at this position. It's probably you know, at least of the infield positions has the most talent at it. Um, and you know, what you'll hear a lot of people say is shortstops really deep. And in, I mean, in a way it is because there are a lot of good ones. There's, you know, just plenty of guys that give you contributions, whether it's four or five categories, you know, some of them are a little bit different, but um, the one thing that I will stress is it may be deep, but they all go quick. And, um, you know, just to kind of give an idea, um, over the last, I've got the last month pulled up for um, NFBC ADP and draft and holds. And it's kind of similar to what you said with last year. I mean, the ninth shortstop off the board is going to pick 40. So, you know, you figure more than more than half of your league, assuming the 15 team league has their shortstop by the middle of the third round. That's just, nuts. you know, the mid to late third round. So, you know, when you hear, you know, most of the time when you hear a position is deep, you just think, Oh yeah, I can just sit back and wait, and wait, and wait. And I, I say this a lot because in my first draft that I started, like the day after the season ended, I, you know, started at the end of October. I thought that, and I thought I, I'll just sit back and wait. You know, shortstop's deep. And the next thing I knew, I was drafting Jorge Polanco in the 16th round. Now, granted, I like Jorge Polanco. We'll get to him, but I'm just saying that, like, 
and I, I actually got somebody else too. I think uh, I don't remember, Tommy but Edmund, it does. Yeah, I think Tommy Edmund. Yeah, but my point is, is like it drops off pretty drastically at a certain point, and so many of them go high. So I feel like you just have to attack it like you would any other position. Like if you want these guys, especially the elite ones, you've got to take them pretty quickly and be aware of the drop-off and don't feel like just because it's deep, you can sit back and wait. I mean, obviously, there's plenty of opportunities to take them, and there's a ton of studs here, but um, I also would be, you know, you kind of have to have a plan of who you want if you miss on all these top guys because if you don't have that plan, then, I mean, there is a drop-off where you might be getting the short end of the stick at the position. Yeah, that is the thing right there. After a certain spot, I mean, yes, it's top-heavy, and those are all stacked, and it's the deepest position of the infield, but oddly enough, it also feels like the one you you don't want to wait on too long because right. if you do, just the gap between those top guys and what you get at the 10 to 15, I like compared to first base, which isn't near as deep, there's some studs at the top, but I feel like I can still get pretty dang close to similar production i shouldn't say similar but i feel like the gap between the 10th 15th first baseman is less to the first guy in that position than it is at shortstop that's weird to say yeah but that's just how i feel um okay let's get into this here the top first baseman this year in drafts was the 17th overall guy last year and that would be one fernando tatis jr He's got an ADP right at 2.8. He and Acuna really seem to be the two that are the most commonly going number one in a lot of these drafts amongst bats. Mookie's in there a little bit. But where would you take Tatis in a redraft league? One, two, three. Where Where is he in your ranks? I would take him two behind Acuna. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think I I mean it's it's splitting hairs. Like yes. they're all so good. It's like and I, I really would just say just just take the guy you want. I mean, am I gonna argue Soto? No. Am I gonna argue Betts? No. Am I gonna argue Trout? No. Like I wouldn't even argue Garrett Cole. But yeah, I would take him too in a redrift. Yeah. I I what you just said there, I agree. The take your guy because they're all so dang close. Yeah. What about a dynasty startup? Where Where is Tatis in your ranks in a dynasty startup that you were doing today? I will say, too, that's for a batting average league. And I mostly say that because in OBP, I would have to take Soto ahead yes. of him. And probably, possibly Trout. I haven't thought that much because I play in more batting average leagues, at least in redraft, but... Uh, for a startup dynasty, I would take him third. Yeah, behind that's... behind Acuna and Soto, I would take Soto ahead of him in a dynasty because while you know I want Tatis for a single season, uh, you know, like I said, it's splitting hairs. But uh, Soto for the long haul, I mean, his skill set just ages better. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with, uh, you know, when you're splitting hairs anyways, you might as well take, you know, the skill set that Soto has, it ages the best of 
any skill set. I mean, obviously his is the elite of the elite, but that type of skill set, it it's going to last so long. And I would build around that in a dynasty. But you know, again, splitting hairs, they're both great. I'd just flip them. So yeah, third in a dynasty two in a redraft yeah we're gonna have fun with this soto versus acuna dynasty conversation when we get to outfielders um back to tatis i'll pick second (laughs) (laughs) let somebody let somebody else make that decision i tell you man i don't i'm just while we're on it because we're talking about the top of the draft i don't want the first pick this year yeah like i just really i don't uh I don't feel strongly enough about like I picked two in one of my drafts already and I got Acuna there and he's my one, but um, I don't know. I just feel like as much as I want pitching early, I feel like I have to take Acuna, Tatis, Soto, whatever. And then it's like, I don't know, like if I pick four five, six, I just feel like I got a better chance. Kind of like you said about with the draft earlier today of getting the pitcher on the way back and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I'm not in love with picking like one, two, three this year. So we got steamer projections for Tatis, and they are eye-opening to look at. Uh, 283 batting average, 110 runs scored, 39 home runs, 100 RBI, and 26 stolen bases. If you were projecting, is there anything in there that you would change? What are your, Basically, what are your thoughts on this? No, not really. I mean, the batting average is always kind of tough to project, but yeah, I think it's pretty good. I mean, he's awesome. And man, he's just fun to watch heading into his prime. Obviously, he's going to be a, should have a good run here at top of fantasy drafts for a few years. So. I have a dynasty share of him, and I couldn't be happier. The fun part is I have Acuna too, so I get that Tatis versus Acuna thing. I got them both, and it's I remember, nice. I remember last year saying that, or I'm pretty sure on this podcast that um, I won't be surprised if Tatis is going right behind Acuna next year. You definitely and said that. Here, here, here he is. You know. So. Yep. Moving on to the next shortstop. At seven overall, we got Trey Turner, and we already have a over-under steamer bet for Trey's home runs plus steals, which is set at 57, according to steamer projections. And props to you, Andrew. You took the aggressive approach on this one and took the over. His ADP is at seven on your personal ranks. Where is he in overall draft ranks? You're talking like in a redraft, right? Correct. Probably in the seven to nine range. I don't have it exactly, but yeah, probably like seven to nine. Are you taking one of him over any of the big three arms? No, I'm taking the pitchers. Yeah, so all th- all three of them behind the. Th- but but I I do really like Trey and I like building around him. It's just. Once you get past, I don't even see, I, I haven't really been put to that test yet. So I haven't had to do it. I've been either too high on the draft or further back. Cause you know, there's that line where it's like, where do you take Cole DeGrom and Bieber? Mm -hmm. Is it two? Is it four? Is it six? Is it later? You know? And, um, 
I'm still not positive of my answer, but it's mostly because I haven't had to do it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not exactly positive what I would do in that moment. But I would take the pitchers ahead of Trey. Um, It's nothing against Trey. It's just the way I want to build my roster. Uh, But I do really like Trey. I would would potentially take Trey ahead of Trout in a redraft. So I think I would. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, with they're that. they're right there. I mean, it's I think that they're close. So. Yeah, the, yeah, seven to nine probably. I would I would think long and hard if it came down to them too, and I think I might go Trey. For me personally, I think I'm the big three power speed bats: Tatis, Acuna, and then Mookie is in there. Actually, I take think I take Mookie one, and then it's the three arms, and then it comes to Trey Soto and Trout. I'd have to I, that one. I'd really I'm not as certain of what I'd do. But I think that's where I, how I order them. Uh, anything yeah. to add on Trey before we move on to the next one? Nope, not really. He's Big a stud. fan. Have a have him on at least. Well, I guess at least one team. I don't know if I've got him in redraft yet, but I'd, I've got him in RM too. So, nice. yeah, he's a stud. Next up is Trevor Story at pick number eleven, and Trevor has been a monster in fantasy for the last three years in a row. He's clearly been a first-round pick. But since I even wrote these notes, now Aaron Otto's gone. And Story is on the last year of team control, and rumors are that Colorado wants to lock him up with that Aaron Otto money off the books. But I personally would be surprised if he takes the money before free agency after Colorado just basically gave Aaron Otto away. And I'm going to open up my Twitter. I just retweeted something about an hour ago. That was out put out there. I don't um, a quote from Trevor Story today. I, I haven't even read this to you, so you'll hear this for the first time. I'm assuming. Quote: Nolan's one of my best friends. Baseball aside, so this hurts. He's the best third baseman in the game. I'm sad and a little frustrated, to be honest. All I can do is focus on playing the best baseball I can for my teammates and the fans. They deserve it. That doesn't sound like a guy to me that's probably jumping to go sign an extension. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's no. what I heard when I read that today, just about right before we got on air. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. I don't. And um, so anyway, does the fact that Nolan's gone and that maybe if Story doesn't sign with him, they could end up trading him in season. Does that move any of that move Story down in your ranks? Yeah, I think I think a couple spots. Um, I know we talked about this earlier today, uh, but I think initially I had story about nine or ten, um, and I think I would have him twelve now. So you know, the big five bats, Trey, who I kind of lump in there, is six, and then the three pitchers is nine. And then to me, it's it's Yelich, Jose Ramirez, and Story. And I would take Story third. I just – it's one of those things, and it's like there's no real wrong answer. Like if if Trevor Story goes like seven or eight in a draft, I'm not even like batting an eye really. It's just – it's kind of one of those things now with Arenado being gone where I'm like, okay, well, even if, if it's like a 10 to 20% chance that Story gets moved – I don't I don't think it's like a real high chance right now like I'm but it's in the back of my head a little bit 
it's like I don't want to invest a first round pick in and then just have the guy leaving course. Like I just don't want to do I just don't want to do that. Especially when I mean you have to split hairs here. Like I, and I'm not saying I'm knocking him you know, into the middle of the second round or anything like that. I'm not, I'm, I would take him 12. I'm pretty sure it would be my breaking point, but he's not getting to 12 in a lot of drafts, you know? And if I was sitting at 12 and those exact 11 went, <clears throat> went in front, I would probably take story, but yeah, it's just, I'm trying uh, a little bit to just back off of it a little because I, I just um, I don't want any part of it if he was to get moved. And while I feel like the odds of that are probably small, when you're comparing him next to a guy like Christian Yelich or, or Jose Ramirez, I mean, that's enough for me to knock it behind them. So he'd be 12 for me, slight uh, slight move down in the ranks. But, I mean, obviously, if he plays a full year in Colorado, he's going to be the stud he always is. Yeah, about a month ago I had – um, Trevor Story and Christian Yelich, or I should say, yeah, Trevor Story and Jose Ramirez up higher than I have them now in redrafts. And I still think they're both first-round picks, but circumstances around them have made me move them down a little bit. I probably would have taken them both over Trey Turner a month ago, and now I would move Trey up closer to the top, and I move them two down back a little bit. So, yeah. I agree with you there. If you could cash out in a dynasty league right now, maybe get 90 cents on the dollar on story, get close to full value, would you give consideration to it? I mean, I'd always give consideration to it. it like, I always kind of look at it with dynasty, like everyone's got, everyone has a cost. Mm -hmm. So um, I would definitely give consideration to it, especially if I was not likely to win the league this coming season. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you are, you know, if you are a team that is in contention this coming year and you have story, it's probably tough. I mean, because he is a stud and he is still on Colorado. It's not like, um, you know, kind of the stuff that I said is just considering what could happen down the line. But um, I think it would probably be, be tough to do if if you consider yourself a contending team for 2021 but i mean i i feel like you always have to consider stuff like that let's say he was moved i didn't put this in the notes but let's say he was moved tomorrow does he fall behind lindor bo bichette the next two shortstops where did where did what team did he go to let's say instead of being traded to arenado being traded let's say it was story and he was traded to the st louis cardinals, cardinals. yeah yeah, I would take him. Uh, I would take him behind Lindor and Bo. Yeah, yeah, I think I would. Too. I'm trying to think who's the the next guy. The next guy, Mondesi. Mondesi? Yeah, Man, he's a different. He's just so different. I don't know, but <laughs> I know that one's kind of hard. But yeah, no, I wouldn't take him. I don't think I would have him below the next group. Yeah, like Agreed. Seager, Bogarts. But yeah, I would take uh, Lindor and Bo ahead of him. He's a mid to late second round pick, and in, in my opinion, if he was on a n neutral to neutral team, yeah. Okay, let's move on to Francisco Lindor, who's now with the Mets, ADP of sixteen, and Lindor is typically been a wheel pick this year 
after being in the first round for what feels like three or four years now. I mean, I I say a will pick. I I've I just took him at what twenty five, twenty six, whatever. Let's say I pick fifth, so that would mean twenty six in our draft. So he'll sometimes slip into the first, and he's sometimes slipping down the second round, just depending on your league. Um. 2020 was a bit of a disappointment. 258 batting average, eight home runs, and six steals in 60 games. Not terrible, but not the first round player we've seen the last few years. Steamer projects the batting average to not really rebound. They have him at 264 with 33 home runs and 19 steals. If I was having you take the over under on the best of three, which side would you be on? I would take the over on the batting average and the under on the other two. Man, we are agreeing too much because that's exactly what I would say. That's exactly how I would do it. I, yeah, I think 33 homers is a little aggressive, but, I mean, he could do it. Um, and then the 19 steals is, I think it's a little lower than that, yeah. Yeah. Like thirty and thirty and fifteen or something like that. It would be about what I would pick, but two sixty four to me is is low. I would have him. I think he can hit two eighty plus. So is he still a first round pick to you? I'm assuming no by you taking the unders. No, no. I mean, I think he's close. And I, I, I tell you, Lindor's possibly my favorite position player in baseball. Yeah, I mean, he's right there. Guy. I mean, I love him. Yeah, I, everything about him. I mean, he's just so fun to watch and I just love the way he is on the field like you can tell he's just having the time of his life every single day and I love it like he's he's great he's great to watch I love it um I don't think he's quite a first rounder for me but um there's never a point where he goes where I feel like it's a bad pick you know um yeah I'd say probably for me like second round pick what about dynasty leagues you know, this is a guy who just probably two years ago was a top five dynasty asset. Now he's 27 and the speed is starting to wane a little bit. What are you doing with this guy if you have him in a dynasty league? Um, I've got him in two oh, you dynasty do? leagues. Yeah. I actually don't know or remember that, I guess. Yeah, I've got him in um, RM1 and RFD. And... Uh, I have no intention to trade him, so I think he's a hold. I mean, like I said, I, I think he's still really good. I mean, sometimes when guys, like, start to come back a little bit from their absolute peak, they're still really valuable for a while, you know? Um, kind of like even like we were saying about Arenado, which is probably inevitable, but I still expect him to be really valuable too. So, um, I mean, again, it. Uh, it always, every time it's like a question where it's, would you sell them? It, to me, the answer every single time is what's the offer. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I would trade anyone if it's the right trade, you know? So that would be the same thing here, but, um, I'm not like out there panic trying to sell him. No, I, I think he's going to be fine and probably do what he does like he seems to do most years we'll circle back if i can remember because i do want to have a hint i want to ask you about one guy with him 
And we'll go into the next two, which are Bo Bichette at 22 and Adalberto Mondesi at 24. In a redraft amongst this, these two, who are you taking first? Bo. Pretty easily. I was about to say, that was quick. Okay. So we'll start off with Bo then. He's going in the mid-second. And Toronto's added a few pieces this offseason, and their lineup looks incredibly stacked. And Steamer has him for 25 home runs and 24 stolen bases. So we got 49 home runs plus steals. Over, under. I think it's about right. I think it's, yeah, I think it's about right. Like 25, 25, right in that range. I could see, I could see the homers being maybe uh, upper 20s and the steals being lower 20s so yeah right around 49 let's see if i can try getting you on a bet here on this guy i don't know if i'm gonna be able to but steamer projects him for 24 what if i set a line under at 20 and a half could i get you to take the over on that on steals yes uh maybe if you threw in a games played caveat Okay. How many games does he have to play? Every game. <laughs> <laughs> 140, 145, something like that? Yeah, that's fine. What, I mean, we may have to – the problem is is how many games are they playing? You know, it's almost like – Well, as, as – We're assuming 162, I mean. Let's assume 162. and We if, can say – we can say 140 because that's a full season, basically. You yeah. know what I mean? And if, so, if they yeah. cut it down, because there are rumors of a 154-game season, we'll move it to 135. I'll have to, Tw- I'll have to do a lot 20, of 20.5 20.5. That way. Yeah, that's fine. I'll take the over. Okay, i got to write this down, for which is exciting for all of you guys, especially because i got to write 162 games. 140 to 135. Okay, that's enough. Okay, we got a bet there. I I still have concerns on the steals. I think that's the big thing. We need to stay on bow here for a second because I know you've got some more things you want to talk about. But well, actually, I I'm well. I guess I'm going to start on this because and, and it's going to sound like I'm throwing cold water. I think his ADP is great for the record, and I know you're going to. I'm not going to. I'm going to let you go on him. I'm a little concerned about the speed, and it's the only thing I'm concerned with. But the guy has only stolen eight bags in about 85 games. He did steal four this last year, but I'm not sure he's a 20-plus steal guy. But that said, he's a stud everywhere else, and he's still going to contribute in the steals. So talk about upside with Bo. I just want to give this to you from here. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just feel like that this is, um, you know, he's 22 years old. He'll be 23 in March. He's been an elite prospect the whole way up, throughout the minors. I mean, none of this, like him going in this spot. I mean, it, it shouldn't surprise anyone. Like, elite prospect the whole way, five category potential the whole way, comes up to the majors. He's good right away. I mean, I don't really know like why anybody would be out or down on Bo Bichette. I get that there's 
you know, it's expensive. It's not like this is cheap. You're not getting any kind of, kind of discount. You're not surprising anybody. Um, I saw him go in the mock we did for the P361 show yesterday at pick 14. Today in our draft for the Baseball 365 leagues, he went on the wheel. And I feel like it's going to, you know, his ADP overall is a little lower than that in the second round more. And I, I drafted him in um, the draft I'm in now. It's pick, I want to say it was pick 20 or 21. So, yeah, I mean, I really like him. I just, I feel like that it's an improving team. He's got the pedigree. He does everything. I mean, he's going to be hitting smack dab in the middle of, I mean, that's going to be one of the best lineups in the league, at least one of the most fun lineups in the league. I know that the top five or six of that lineup is just disgusting. So I really like him. I I feel like that if there's one guy that's really going to bust through and shoot to the top, um, like a a year from now, it's, I, I feel like he's the guy and you know, I, I'm not like sitting here guaranteeing it's going to happen, but I just feel like that there's a combination, like everything is there. He just has to do it. Mm-hmm. And once he does it once, he's going at the top or, you know, top five, six, seven of a draft. It was, this is kind of a similar spot to Tatis and I've made a few comparisons there and I don't think he quite has Tatis's upside, but um, I also, I mean, how many people also would have thought that Tatis had that upside even a year ago, you know, we it's, did. it's easy to like say after you, after it happens. So yeah, just, I like everything about him. I mean, I feel like he's young on the rise and everything's set up for him to be a five category stud. I don't, you were talking a lot there I, and I don't, and I don't know if you said this, but the nice part is it feels like it's a high floor too. If you already said, oh, it, yeah. my bad, but yeah. That's something you said earlier, and I agree. As I'm sitting here starting to sound like I was throwing cold water on him at first, I mean, he feels like he's very safe out of four categories of production, five categories of production. He's going to give you steals, and I think everything else is just almost a lock to be really good to where it's – let me ask you this too. I didn't put this in the notes. No, go ahead, and then I got a question. Bo versus Lindor, who are you taking first? In a redraft, I'm taking Bo. Uh, I I I just wanted to hear you but say. It. I, th- I I knew I, the answer. I think it's I think it's close though. It's yes. like, you know, one A one B whatever. I mean, and I do think that um, Lindor's safer, but I mean, Bo's steamer projection is better than Lindor's. Yep. So, For and not right. that that's that's not everything, but. Um, I mean, I feel like Bo's floor is probably low twenties homers and like fifteen steals. Yes, with good everything out, like good batting average, good runs and ribbies, you know. So, and I don't feel like even if you draft him where you have to draft him, that that's really going to kill you. I mean, of course you would be disappointed, but that's I mean, still thirty-five I just, to forty home runs plus steals. That's yeah, really I, good. Yeah, I feel like that there is. Um, I think sometimes when you say the word upside, people forget about floor, and I feel like he has a pretty high floor too. So I like him. 
Yes. Um, going back, I agree. I would take Bo over Lindor too. And part of it is I still think Bo, I think Bo has a better shot at stealing 25 bags than Lindor at this point. And that's where the big difference is. I, maybe Lindor gets back up over 30 home runs and I'm not as certain that Bo is going to be a 30 home run hitter, but the speed, I feel Bo has a better chance of being it and is in a much better lineup. That Toronto lineup too is just sick, wicked man. Like yes, yeah. So I'm with you on Bo and taking him where he's going and taking him over Lindor. Yeah. All right, let's go to Mondesi. I know two years ago we talked about him for almost an entire podcast. I honestly don't remember what we said last year <laughs> on him. Yeah, but, we've um, had our we've had our Mondesi talks for sure. Yeah. His ADP is creeping up here a bit. Now he's looking like he's a mid to late second round pick in a lot of 15 team leagues. And it was a tale of two halves for Mondesi in that 60 game season. I went and pulled up the exact stats for where he was at the end of August. And at the end of August, he had a 186 batting average with zero home runs, eight steals, 11 runs, and two RBI in 35 games. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. And if you took Mondesi in the third round, he was absolutely killing you. I, I took him in an auction league to lock down steals, and yeah, it was ugly in that first half. One category of production and a negative in the other four. And then September rolled around, and he was an absolute superstar. In 24 games played, he had a three fifty six batting average with six home runs. 16 stolen bases, 22 runs, and 20 RBI. So he was a monster. And as I was writing that down, I was thinking to myself, man, could you imagine having having traded for Mondesi near the trade deadline in redraft leagues last year? Or could you imagine having traded him away? How bad that would be. (laughs) Brutal. Yeah, that's... Yeah, definitely... uh... Definitely a game changer there at the end. I think we can all agree Mondesi is a bad hitter, but he's so elite in the steals and chips in his fair share of home runs that he's one of the most unique players in fantasy. And Steamer projects him this year to have a 259 batting average, and yes, I had to throw in a 299 on base percentage, 20 home runs, 84 runs, 78 RBI, and 55 stolen bases. Question, could you take Mondesi at or near his 24 overall ADP? And if not, where would you feel comfortable taking the stab? You know something, I'm, I'm coming around. I, I still haven't drafted him in any draft, um, like even going back a year or two. But this is probably the closest I've ever been, like right now. Um, just in terms of, you know, and th- this is a really big thing too, for me, steamer projection, Mondesi, like you said, 55 steals second in the entire league, Trey Turner, 34. Yeah. Third in the entire league, Ronald Acuna, 28. I mean, and I, and I think Trey could steal 40 plus. I mean, it's not like, you know, there may not be as big of a gap as that shows, but when you look around the league, there's basically nobody that has 
60, 70 steal upside besides maybe Trey. And I'm not even sure he has it. And the gap there, I mean, it's just it's just huge, you know, and it's bigger than it's ever been. I mean, it hasn't quite been this type of gap in the past. Um, I heard on a podcast at some point this offseason, somebody saying that every league they were in, the guy that owned uh, Adalberto Mondesi won the league, like basically every league that they were in. Um, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, I'm always thinking about team building and, you know, thinking about what you're going to do in round seven and round eight when you're in round two or round three. And you're not finding another Adalberto Mondesi in the draft. It won't happen. I mean, you can replicate some of these other guys later on, like a lot of the power hitting first baseman or, you know, power hitting outfielders, stuff like that. But it's just a guy that there's one of him. That's it. So you're either getting him or you're not. I get it. I totally get it. It's still a tad high for me, but I understand it more than I ever have before. Crazy. He's got absolute nut. His upside is just crazy because the speed is just so hard to find. And you're right. Every year it just seems like it's a bigger gap. I, and part of it, I think, is because Trey's, Trey's steals have been trickling down. But every year it seems like the league steals are trickling down too. Yeah. It's, the other thing I think is po- important to point out that I didn't mention is, you know, a lot of times, and like how you said Mondesi's a bad hitter, and I agree, but a lot of times – when that is the case, there's playing time risk and there's no playing time risk with him. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to play. He's not going to like lose his job or anything like that, you know? So that is like out the window where in a lot of situations it would be in the conversation, like it would be part of the conversation with him. I mean, this might actually be a good example of how we always say bad player on bad team. I want him like, isn't he kind of that? I mean, if yes. he was on a really good team, what would he be doing? You know, I don't know. It's like it's probably good that he is where he is and he does what he does. And, you know, it's it's, probably a, be like it's Billy a fantasy Hamilton. stud. Billy Hamilton, when he was hitting ninth on the team all the time, I think it's similar yeah, to that. Potentially. And yeah, potentially. when Mondesi was hitting that terrible 186 average that first half I was reading off, the Royals did move him down to eight. And that could happen again. I do believe that could easily happen. But on the same note, I think that's about as bad as it gets unless it just, I mean, it'd have to be really, really bad for a lot longer. And when you have the speed he has, you're going to you're gonna hit into some more hits that other players won't, wouldn't hit into. And that does help keep the batting average up there a little higher than it would be for a league average runner or something like that. Um, yeah. One other thing to keep in mind real quick. I just wanted to mention this and then we can move on. Um, when you build around those steals, just be aware that if he gets hurt, mm-hmm. you know, have a plan for steals. I mean, it's tough because like you draft him and then you're just like, okay, I'm set. I'm going to win steals or I'm going to be in the discussion. And um, if you don't draft any more steals and something happens, then obviously you're going to be in trouble. So, I feel like that's kind of the difficult part about drafting him. It's always going to look good on paper, but you just have to be aware of where your steals are coming from if something were to happen. Yep, that's very true. It is a hard part about owning a guy like that that I really haven't 
fully understood until the last year or so. I've I've always been a guy that wants to get the rabbit at the top and then not spread it around, and I think my mind's changed on that the last year or two. Yeah, it's a little like that with Trey, too. I mean, similar. Okay, let's move on here and talk about the next three shortstops. we got Corey Seager, Xander Bogarts, and Tim Anderson, 7 through 9, with ADPs at 34, 35, and 40. Which of this group do you prefer? Uh, if if I'm taking one, like, I haven't actually gotten him yet, but I, I would rank Bogarts first of the three, and then um, then Anderson, and then Seager. Yeah. I definitely, I think I'm with you. Originally, I think I would have said Tim Anderson, but Bogarts is so good at all the categories, and he steals more than you think. He usually is chipping in 8 to 12 steals, and I think the hit tool that runs an RBI, it's close. I think it's close with to Anderson and Bogarts, but Seager I'm not so high on. And let's start with Seager. Uh, in the last two years, Andrew, you've talked up Seager at his price. You've claimed the upside was still there, and people were discounting him too much due to injury. And it didn't work out for great, too great for people who took him two years ago. He was okay, but not overly impressive. But those who took him last year have to be thrilled. His ADP last year was 153, and he was awesome. In 52 games played, he hit 307 with 15 home runs, 38 runs, and 41 RBI. He was an MVP caliber production right there. So now his ADP is at 34 overall. So we're talking 120 picks earlier than it was last year. Now that the price is up, are you willing to go after Sigur? No, no, I'm not. I I, I like that um, he did what he did. I mean, I always kind of been a fan, and um, when he's severely discounted in drafts, I'll pounce. This just isn't that year. Um, I don't actually feel much different about Seager than I have in the past. I've always felt like he's a good hitter. I thought that when he was going in round seven, eight, whatever it was, you know, it might have even been, well, it was around there, I think. Um, and now he's going in round three. And it's just, that's the difference to me. Like, I uh, don't feel like the, you know, I feel like you have to, have to, have to get uh, elite batting average for this pick to pay off. And while he definitely could do that, uh, it's just fluky enough. There's no steals. I'm just not really, um, I'm not into it. At pick 34, I just, I don't really want him. Of all the people in the top 50, he's one of my least favorite in terms of where he's going at his price. In the very first draft and hold, I think we talked about this when we had Chris Winder on, he got Seager at pick 60. That's 26 picks after his ADP here. And I think his ADP was higher at that time. I think it's dropped a little bit. I think it might have even been 28, 30, something like that at that point. He went 42 in our draft tonight. And even as he was there at 60, I was in the fourth round, middle of the fourth, so we were talking 53rd pick, and I wasn't interested in him at that point, which is all you need to know about what I think about taking Seager this year. Okay. Um, he's still a really good hitter, and I don't take any of that away, but the fact that he has he doesn't provide much in the speed department at a position that you really do want to get some power speed, especially if you're drafting it early. 
I just I don't feel comfortable. I'd rather I'd much rather wait and take Correa later, who I think has similar upside still. Um, while uh, let's move on to Bogarts here, and while a lot of the Red Sox players had down years this last year in that sixty game stretch, Xander wasn't one of them. He had a 300 batting average with 11 home runs and eight stolen bases in 56 games played. He's starting to look like a pretty safe four-category stud who does at least contribute a little bit in the fifth category. I mean, eight steals in 56 games is a real good pace. I don't think anybody would be expecting that pace of 20-plus to continue, but he seems to be good for usually getting close to 10 to 15 steals. I I I need to look, but I I know he's had some years where he's been in the 10-15 range. I think he's maybe had eight the last couple of years. But anyway, four-category stud who provides some in the fifth category. Yeah, yeah, Bogarts isn't a guy that I um, I get a lot of usually. But I will say, I mean, you can't really argue with his production year after year. I mean, he just continues to do it. Um, not quite a zero in steals, though I wouldn't project much more than high single digits. But I just think he'll give you a pretty good four-category base. Um, and it's like one of those things I've said, like today in the draft, he, he got to pick 40. And I was at, uh, I was at 41, and I, I was going to take him. I took Witt. And so it went Bogarts 40, I took Witt 41, and then Anderson went 42. And those three, I had those three. They were like the three I had in my queue, basically. And I just, that was the order I had them. But um, yeah, I like Bogarts if he slips a little bit from this spot, but I, th- I think it's about right. I mean, it's just really solid player, and it's hard to, uh, hard to argue with what he does. So. What about Tim Anderson? He won the batting crown in 2019, and we both laughed at that a lot last offseason because he's a guy that doesn't take walks. It just seemed completely fluky. And I don't think either of us were too big on him going into this last year. And he went and hit for an insanely high average again, 322 batting average. Though, again, that came with an incredibly high BABIP of uh, the last two years have been 399 and 383. And Steamer is not buying that batting average at all in their projections. He's projected for a 274 average, which of all the projections on Tim Anderson's Fangraph page is lowest by quite a bit. So 274 batting average, 23 home runs, 17 steals. Over or under best of those three. Oh boy, that's tough. I think the homers are like right on the money. Um, that's about exactly what I would project. I think I would over the steals. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to over it. I would over the batting average too, slightly. Yeah. I would take the so, over. Yeah. I would over it. And it's mostly on batting average and steals, but I, I think I would, close. I would, I would over the steals, the yeah. 17. I, I would definitely over that. So, yeah. Yeah. Or- yeah. With Anderson, I, I mean, I like him. I, I feel like it's a, you know, he does kind of, he does a little bit of everything, you know, so you're kind of getting that, um, you know, the speed and, you know, just the power. It, there's just a little bit of everything there. Um, I, I do think that, you know, it's one of those guys that it's kind of, 
you know, a lot of this has been unexpected, especially with the hit tool stuff, like the batting average. It's just not something that um, I feel like you can continue to count on. And I, I, I do worry a little bit with him. Like the bottom could fall out when you least expect it. I mean, everybody, everybody loves him now. I mean, he's going in round three. He's never gone this high. And I think there was a lot of appeal when he was a prospect because he had some crazy stolen base. I, I want to say he stole 40 plus in the minors or something. And it, you, that was kind of what people envisioned as he, 49 as he came up in 2015. Yeah. As he came up, that was kind of what people envisioned, not this batting, <laughs> batting champion, you know? So it's kind of changed a little bit. Um, and I don't know, he, he does leave me a little uneasy, but at the same time, it's, it's just hard to argue with five category production for the most part. I, I mean, he's not going to give you a ton of RBI, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just across the board. And I think it's, I think he's going in a fair spot. Like I wouldn't take him much higher than that. I think I took him at exactly pick 40 in, uh, in the draft I'm in now or in one of the drafts I'm in now, I guess I'm in two now, but, um, yeah, I think it's about the right spot. I wouldn't take him. I've seen him go in a couple of mine at the top of round three. I wouldn't do that. But, yeah, it's, you know, I, there's also the argument early in the draft where he's not coming back if that's what you want. So I get it. Um, I'm kind of just in the middle with him, but I get it. I'd have to think long and hard if it got to Anderson and Bogarts for me. I do think they're pretty dang close. And um, I've been in on Anderson this year in drafts I've really wanted to grab him in the third just because shortstop dries up and I've gone pitcher pitcher in my first two drafts I've done and I've picked in the mid to late third round and he's been the guy I've targeted but I also do agree that the bottom could drop out quick when it does and I usually say this about anybody that doesn't walk a lot of these guys that don't take walks when you get into your late 20s he's 27 right now it seems like it drops quickly with them because your elite skills, once they just drop a tick, it really affects you if you don't learn to get a better approach. So I could easily see that happen to him in the next year or two. It could happen this year, but don't know. You don't, I mean, you just never know exactly when that ball, when that ball drops. Um, moving on to the next two, we got Glaber Torres, the 10th shortstop off the board at 68 overall. And three picks later, we got Javi Baez with your Cubs at 71. Here are two shortstops that both had down years this last year. Which one would you feel more comfortable investing in hoping for a rebound? Uh, I would say Glaber. Pretty confidently? No, not really confidently. I mean, I was I was kind of in this spot in the draft tonight. Uh, in the fifth round, I, I think it was pick 71. And, so right um, ADP then. Yeah, and it was kind of one of those things where, you know, a lot of the fifth and sixth round picks, I know we were having this conversation earlier, but I'm just not a big fan of, like, where they go. I feel like the, the ones you take – it's almost like I'm just taking a guy to take a guy. There's a few that I like their values, but I don't love a lot of the values in that spot. Um, so I was kind of sitting there and uh, I was debating between a couple different guys, but I took, I actually took Glaber there at 71. So, and Baez was on the board. So yeah, I would take him. I do think, you know, Baez uh, is 
probably likely to beat him in steals, but I don't think he's likely to beat him in any other category. So, and I, I think that Baez is uh, more volatile too. Like, I think that if one of them is just going to tank hard, it's probably going to be him. Um, Glaber's still young, you know, awesome lineup, going to play every day. Typically hits for high batting averages. He had a little bit of a rough year last year, but, and he's not a zero in steals. You know, he'll chip in probably like, five to eight somewhere in there so um yeah i would take glaber of the two for a rebound yeah i i buy into glaber completely with the rebound i i like him getting him in that fifth round fourth fifth round i liked it where you took him and i was doing some research and i read it that in an interview in december uh brian cashman mentioned that glaber showed up to the second spring training out of shape and attributes that to his struggles in 2020 he said that once Glaber got into game shape, he was pleased with how he finished the regular season and the playoffs. And he was really hot in the playoffs with a slash line of 435, 567, 1.26 in 30 plate appearances in those seven games. Small sample, but yes, he was really hot going into October. Now, as for Baez, I do want to bring up the comp that I've really thought about Baez and as I just alluded to with Tim Anderson, these guys that don't take walks, I think about Carlos Gomez when I think of those guys. Gomez struggled in the early going as he was a guy that doesn't take walks, and then all of a sudden it clicked for him, and three years in a row he was a star for the Brewers. I mean, each year he had somewhere between 55 and 60 home runs plus steals. And once 2015 hit, I think he was 27 or 28 at that time. Let's see. He is 35 right now, so that would make him six years ago 29. And it fell apart for him quickly in 2015 and 2016 where his batting average tumbled. The home runs and steals got fell down to about 30, and he was struggling to find himself a starting gig. And I think of that a lot when I think of Baez. There, I electric players with elite skills in terms of bat speed and electric just being electric on the field in general and it just when it went it went fast and I don't know if these bias struggles from last year is the beginning of that or not but I at least in my head I'm thinking about maybe it is and it makes me not really too keen on getting in on him this year. If he has a real big bounce back and has a star season, good for him. I just don't think I'm going to be one that's going to be in on him. Yeah, it's. I think it's, for me, it's about the right spot. I mean, I I get everything you're saying. Like, And honestly, I agree with a lot of it, too. I, I get the comps to Gomez, and I get all that. Um, it's also cheaper than it's been the last few years. Definitely. So it's discounted. Yeah, I just I feel like it's about right. I mean, I don't love Glaber or Baez at this spot, but it's fine to me. I mean, I don't hate it either. You know, it's like one of those things when I see him go, I'm like, yeah, that's about right. There's nobody. I, I, one thing I wanted to bring up when when I got to this spot too earlier, and I was saying how I took Glaber. Part of what you kind of have to think uh, when you're in this range, and I, I thought about it with Anderson, even in a draft that I took him is what I was saying about the shortstops. Okay, now they're going. They're going. You know, And it's like, if you do want one of... I mean, I think the drop-off is coming here pretty quick. I'll kind of say when I feel like it is. But um, 
you've only got a few shots left, I feel like, and then it's going to really drop off. So that's some of the argument, I feel like, to take in one of these guys. Um, just something to kind of keep in mind, you know, as you're in the fifth round or, you know, whatever it is. So some drafts, they may go in the sixth, but um, if you're wanting to get one of the shortstops that is pretty good or, you know, in that top tier, not top, top tier, but you know what I'm saying, before the drop, big drop off, I guess I should say, that's definitely an argument for these guys. Has the window been missed to sell bias in a dynasty league? I was talking with our buddy Lucas, which, by the way, while I'm thinking about it, last episode we hit our did our 100th episode, and we were talking about all of our guests, and I told you we were probably going to forget one, and we did. Our good buddy Lucas. Sorry, Lucas. Yeah. Thank you for coming on yeah. last fall. <laughs> um, anyways... I remember talking to him. I think he moved Baez in Dynasty League this offseason. He was telling me how much, how cool the market was for him. Has the window passed for him at this point? Like, are you, there's the, yeah, chance, there's the chance he rebounds and you're going to gain a lot of stock back. But if he goes out and this is, and has another uh, just a uh, season, I don't, I mean, I think that it could get a, go a lot worse too. I don't know what I'd do. Yeah, it's it's a tough call there. I, I think that I would probably hold for now and see what happens. It's it's maybe a little scary, but I just I feel like you have to have the right guy. Like if you're just trying to push bias on people in a dynasty league that don't want him, you're not going to be happy with what they're willing to give up. So, yeah, if somebody comes to you, I mean, I would definitely listen. Um, other than that, though, I probably would be willing to wait for a hot streak in season because I think that he'll have one at some point. And, you know, maybe you get a little bit more value squeezed out of it at, at, at that time. Might add that his steamer projections, if he does anything close to that, he's and this is great value. Steamer projects 256 average with 30 home runs, 12 steals. 81 runs and 96 RBI. So if yeah. you get anything close to that, even 90% of that, this is a great pick. So as much as I'm bagging on him, Steamer is higher on him than I am. And this is where we are going to cut off the first half of the shortstop podcast. Thank you all for listening. And Andrew and I will be back in just a few days and we will cover the rest of the shortstop position. Expect that podcast to drop probably Friday morning. Until then, take care, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 